The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome to Dugout Study Hall, a remedial course in baseball stats and proud member of the Pitcher List Podcast Network. I'm your host and expert layman, Matt Goodwin, and I am joined, as always, by your fake baseball economist, Alexander Chase. On this episode, we will share brief Raz Slam and TGFBI updates, explore the concept of negative numbers and ERA estimators, and then spend the rest of our time talking about balls. But before we get to all of that, Alexander, how you doing? Matt, it is uh, going pretty well today. How about yourself? Not too bad. I uh, There has been this cold that's made its way through my family, uh, including the newborn, or the I guess he's not newborn anymore, three-month-old. Uh, so he's 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 probably handling it better than me. I think he's being less of a baby about it than I am. Uh, <laughs> but if uh, if I, I, my throat catches on a sentence here, y'all know uh, will know why. Uh, I'm going to do my best to mute that mic when I have to cough up my my lung. Um, other than that, now things are things are are uh, just moving right along. Yeah, I mean. I love the fact that you can say the baby is being less of a baby than you, and I'm sure we won't bug you online for that, but I appreciate the heads up uh, before we get too far into this. Yeah, if I cough in your ear, I will I, I will do my best to make use of this mute button that we have on our interface to, uh, to try and avoid that from happening. Um, why don't we start off with just a, a couple of quick updates about our Razslam and TGFBI teams? That I, I know it's early, obviously, um, and my teams have bounced back and forth from being like, wow, that's gross, to okay, I can handle that. And they've both done it and switched places. I started off with my Razslam team was okay, it's doing all right, middle of the pack, like I just don't want to finish last. Now I'm closer to finishing last. Uh, but my TGFBI team, I almost uh, almost made it into the top 100 overall. Noticed you were sitting up there at around 18 overall, Mr. Chase. That's pretty good. So uh, I don't know. We don't have to, to talk about it too much, but just kind of the what what have you what are the takeaways early on from this format and this kind of like industry experts league experience? Um, I find that more than anything else, uh, it's a nice reminder that doing the really just boring hard work is the most important part of it which is like kind of dumb to like say yeah i'm so excited to like set my lineups so that i can get someone's four day midweek week put in like the big advantage in a lot of these leagues is just like having josh naylor play four games for you monday through thursday versus someone else playing three and just hammering that every single time you can which like that's just not a thing that you have to deal with in almost any other format where like the competitive right. advantage is four versus three games all the time. Cause like if you're playing head to head with like a weekly lineup set and your choice is like six versus seven games or five versus six games, like the better player is still probably the pick in most of those cases. Right. But like if so much of what you got to do is just like, all right, so this team is going to face uh, one lefty and two righties this week. And this other one's going to face three righties who do I start as a result of that? And it just begins. Yeah. It's just like getting the weeds pretty throwing. quick. Yeah, and for sure. The other thing then is just like, don't do stupid things and be ahead of the curve on some stuff. So the actual fun stuff, like the actual, actual fun stuff is being able to watch like Kyle Wright pitch on some of these teams where I like saw his first start was like, Ooh, this is really fun. And then he's been um, literally uh, like some sort of like 
new ace incarnate as as a result yeah like, <laughs> i i guess i threw that dart right so far in a couple teams but we'll we'll see uh it's way too early to victory lap on something like that so you know i'm gonna be deficient in some categories i already hate uh the just absolute ferocity with which people are going after these like speculative closers like Danny Jimenez for the Oakland A's had like a nice week and went for like 150 bucks in some of my leagues out of a thousand. And it's like, that's going to happen every single time, isn't it? I just have no capacity whatsoever to guess what people will go for. So like I got Chris Stratton for 40 bucks where the backup bid was three. And yeah, (laughs) it's, it's just going to be stupid. And it's different in each league. Right. If you were right. to look at the different leagues, I'm sure that he didn't go for 40 in every league. And there might have been some where 40 wouldn't have been enough as opposed to in yours. The backup was three. Right. So it, I, I found that to be very challenging. I will be honest, that grind just uh, the way that my life is shaped right now is just really, really hard to do that. Mm-hmm. And so and where do you go for the resource? Well, to the to the articles written by the people that you're playing against who have already <laughs> already squared that up and, and made that happen. So it's a. Uh, it's really enjoyable for me to be part of it because it gives me that point of view, but I have no illusions that I'm going to be able to maintain that marathon pace with, uh, with these really, really smart people that I'm, I'm playing with, but either way, it's been an amazing experience for sure. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll see, uh, what parts of all of it, uh, go worse for me. Uh, I think I said in the beginning that my like really ambitious goal is to finish like in the top 50 in uh, TGFBI. Mm and uh, not embarrassing embarrass myself in Razzlam because I don't pretend to know a whole lot of what I'm doing in that format. And my team there has been bad for mostly injury, but not entirely injury-related things. You know, everyone's team is a different sort of bad right now yeah. uh, in some really unexpected ways. I saw, I think it was Kevin Hastings. It's like, you know, like, how is it that, like, league-wide offense is down and all of my hitters suck, but, like, all of my pitchers are getting blown up? And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. So... Yeah, well, you know, it's not always just just the home runs or or whatever. It's it it is very in a very interesting start to the the season. I feel like I've got these amazing offenses that I drafted in some home leagues, and they're you know the batting average at the end of the week is like under the Mendoza line. Like yeah. look at the guys, and it's like that shouldn't be. And and what I, there's nothing I can do to correct for that. I'm not dropping these guys. So it's it's definitely been an interesting start. Uh, is that those are head to head formats where it hurts a little bit more for the first few weeks to be wonky because each of those weeks still counts the same as the weeks where things normalize uh, in terms of your overall record. But uh, it, you know that's the game. If if it was just all a foregone conclusion, then there would be absolutely no enjoyment or fun to be had. So anything else you want to say about Razzlam TGFBI before we move on to our number of the week segment? Um. Yeah, more than anything else, I think my takeaway from all of this is that I really like not setting lineups every day. Uh, it might yeah. be a grind to constantly be trying to mine for that guy who could turn into a full-time hitter in the top half of an order or pitcher who can make a jump way ahead of any data that's actually there. Like That is a lot. There's a lot of like weird, I have to like have this individual moment of brilliance pressure that you can put on yourself. But like if you ignore that, like I have set my lineups twice a week there's not a whole lot of drama because I don't have that many people who are like really that good on any of these teams. You know, you're not <laughs> trying to figure out whether or not you're trying to bench like one ace for another necessarily. In all of these yeah. Leagues. Right. Right. Um, I feel very lucky in one of these leagues for Eric Lauer to be like my SP seven. That is a yeah. really good place to be in some of these spots. And it is way less stressful in that regard because you're like, all right, I just don't think it's awful yet. I'm not going to stress and I'm just going to let it be for a little while uh, in terms of like, um, like some of those lineup decisions aren't as hard as they could be. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's nice. There's a lot of like certainty with making the right choices, except whenever you bench Jock Peterson, like I did. <laughs> well, what are you going to do? Uh, he certainly was not at the top of people's lists going into the season. So that's, again, that's why we play the games. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, we are going to move into our numbers of the week segment, and this is a, a fun one. Um, I want to uh, just shout out uh, listener Zach Blaine, friend of the pod, for bringing this uh, to me and and asking this question and, and wanting Alexander to explore this on the episode. Um, Andrew Painter is a Phillies prospect. He has thrown 12 innings so far in this very young season. He has faced 43 batters and struck out 30 of them which is insane. 
I would call um, that pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's <laughs> the kind of thing you want from your prospect. Um, here's where it gets really interesting. Okay, his his FIP is a negative point seven nine, and his X FIP is a negative point five five. Now. I am not the numbers guy. I have never pretended to be the numbers guy. I've learned a lot about this stuff doing this with you, but I am I'm certainly no expert in in regards to how all of these things come together and how the maths play off of each other. But to me, a negative number there suggests that they expect him to be able to come into a game and remove runs from the scoreboard that the other team has already put up, which if he could might make him the most valuable baseball player in the history of the game. Uh, help me understand this, Alexander. What is going on? How does this happen? Is this a breakdown in the formula? Is he breaking the system just because he's been so insanely outlier good? Uh, what what the heck is going on here? I, I think your inclination there at the end is exactly correct. Uh, it is just like the formula isn't designed for someone to strike out 60% of batters. Uh, and when you think about how these things are made, it's not that surprising that this is possible, uh, especially in like small ish sample sizes before you get any home runs or, you know, even fly balls, really, uh, in the case of XPIP. So let's start with FIP because it's like it's old. It's really well documented exactly how it works and why it works. And people have talked about it forever. And despite its flaws, I think it's really easy to understand and makes for a really good stand in for stuff. Uh, should just note at the top also. Um, FIP is like where Fangraph's war comes from for pitchers for the most part. So like, again, warts and all, it is something that is deeply ingrained. And it's just a pretty simple, um, like three variables gives you one sort of like multiple regression. So um, basically what they do, and this is very much watering down how multiple regression works, but just roll with it, is they take like all of the data about how more strikeouts affects your uh number of runs allowed how more walks how more home runs etc and they just basically create this complicated multi-dimensional scatter plot don't try to think about it in your brain too much it will be really weird looking i don't really think about hypercubes very often but yeah it's like four variables it's weird uh and basically you end up with all these coefficients where for each additional strikeout that you have per uh PA as each you know as your strikeout rate goes up a tick as your walk rate goes down a tick as your home run rate goes down a tick it has an incremental effect on your um on your ERA the thing is for most numbers like this like we don't actually care about the really really extreme very like like edges of how things work out um we don't have people typically who end up with a negative fit because like nobody strikes out that many batters over a long enough sample for us to care about fit usually um i don't know what would happen if we kept uh for example Degrom down in like those low a rehab starts for like a full season i'm sure uh, Degrom <laughs> could get himself a pretty nice negative fip over the course of a season and you know depending on things go they may even give him a negative era I'm, I'm not gonna put it past him if that were the case so i don't want to see that as in i don't want to see too many more rehab starts for Degrom. i like him just be in the majors but sure. someone like andrew painter who I've seen some prospect writers say that, you know, there's going to be a good case to be made that his command is a little bit better than we initially thought, or it's all coming together at this low level, and he needs to probably go up a level. Uh, mm, that's yeah. usually what the the um, the lesson is in these cases. Uh, we've seen a couple other guys just absolutely crush uh, the pitching that they're seeing, or, or the hitters that they're seeing early in the season. Uh, Daniel Espino for uh, the... Uh, Cleveland Guardians, I don't know which he's in double A. He should probably go up to triple A soon. He's mm. gonna make a really strong case to be like the number one overall pitching prospect at some point sometime soon after a couple of people graduate. He's had some similar starts. I think he struck out like 12 guys in a row or something like that recently. Uh Mick Abel, who is one of the top uh draft picks out of high school, also has been crushing people. So we have a lot of different people who are doing these sorts of things. And uh, I think that your takeaway in these cases should not be that the formula is broken. It's that um, they are broken and need to move up a level, <laughs> which is really fun. Like, it's really yeah. fun. That that's a, a thing that we can, like, point at. It's a nice encapsulation of how ridiculous they are. So I'm going to ask you to do something that's not in our rundown here on the fly. Um, 
if it's if it if it can be broken, and I know you just said don't call it broken, but I'm going to. Um, on oh, this fine. end, this way, <laughs> um, how far on the scale do we have to go the other way until it it also is giving us ridiculously high numbers? Where is there like a range of trust, a, a zone of trust? What from Meet the Fockers? What did he call that? The circle of trust. Where where exactly is the sweet spot of these things where we can use this information in in ways that are that are reliable as far as the formula is is and can be reliable? I'm going to trust our listeners and you here a decent amount, and then I'm going to let you tell me whether or not I've trusted everyone too much. So uh, if you are not maybe mathematically, but just kind of like culturally under, understanding of the word standard deviation, you know, it's like. As you get a, a handful of standard deviations away from the norm, once you're sitting in a zone that nobody else occupies, when you're in that DeGrom against uh, that Cardinals team uh, zone of like, <laughs> this just doesn't happen, the formulas don't even try to be applicable for those cases. So right. I think you would have to be like low A pitcher facing the actual New York Mets for it to break on the other end. But also at that point, like it's just going to break because you don't get anybody out. Um, and like, that's also broken too. Right. You know, the, the infinity. Um, <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, ERA is also itself broken, isn't it? So I wouldn't worry too much about those things being wrong. However, if you're, if you're interested in the, like, clearly this isn't going to hold up sort of stuff. Um, there are definitely approaches that you can make to building new ERA models especially predictive models that do fix this. So this is something I played around with. If any of y'all are familiar with PCRA, uh, it is like a predicted version of, it's a predictive version of CRA, which is uh, itself like a, a barrels built ERA estimator. The way okay. these things work is rather than like, you've struck out 75% of the eight people you phased or whatever, they basically calculate that as like, okay, we would have extracted you to strike out two of those eight people. You've struck out six of them. That's four more strikeouts than expected. And so as a result, your predicted future ERA ticks a little bit away from league average. So as you get more data on how good someone is, as they pitch some more innings, and they continue to be outside the norm, their uh, CRA or whatever, their predicted future ERA, however you want to like think about that, will tick down. Um, I've tried to build something in this way. Again, it's just been on my back burner to fix some stuff. And ultimately, because of some stuff we're going to talk about later on today, I've had a little bit of trouble with it. Uh, but like, I think that's a pretty good way of thinking about things. Uh, instead of saying that this one person has like a zero FIP through three seconds in the majors, it's like, okay, but like how much better is that really? It's... Mm -hmm it's one run better so far. It's not that big of a deal. And that's what a lot of these small sample sizes is, is it doesn't take more than one or two hits, a fly ball or two for things to get back to normal. And when it takes just that little for you to look average again, we shouldn't care too much, except I will notably say, I'm not going to write off the idea that Andrew Painter could, whenever he debuts like in the 2040 season or whatever it is, he's, he's a child. <laughs> um, he, he should probably be a, you know, someone we're watching in, in, in the intermediate term, he's probably going to be pretty good. Yeah, that's uh, that's uh, that makes sense. As the the biggest takeaway is, if you're able to do something so extreme that it's giving you these ridiculous output numbers, it's somebody worth on the good end, right? On on the the uh, outperforming people end, then it's probably somebody worth paying attention to. Um, I'm going to skip to um, off the books. We haven't done a ton of off the books, and uh, I want to do a quick five on this because I think it's related to what we are going to be talking about for the, the um, most of the episode, which is uh, to talk about the balls in Major League Baseball. Um, and this is uh, something that came out uh, where Chris Bassett was very vocal about um, his players being hit by pitch. And in it, he talks about how Major League Baseball doesn't really seem to care that this is happening and that the inconsistent baseball is part of the problem. Um, what are your your first impressions just of that premise, Alexander? Um, we're going to get to like the 
it's not pseudoscience, but I wanted to say pseudoscience there because it's just like the <laughs> it's sort of sciencey. We probably need some more data science of all this. Uh, that will explain a lot of this a little bit better. And I feel like we should almost kind of we should start by kind of just previewing that then. Um, because of the combination of humidors and the air quotes new ball and a bunch of other stuff in recent seasons, there's a pretty good reason. Er, we have a good amount of data and like things lining up to believe that the balls are literally shaped different uh and like potentially one-to-one there is batch inconsistency even if they are all being made in the same batches yeah aka as the ball trucks from costa rica to missouri to uh wherever you know like washington dc uh st louis it's in a container in a container ship for a little extra time because of our our shipping delays right there's a lot of factors (laughs) in the process so we're going to be talking a lot about the impact on hitters. And this is this was just an opportunity to talk a little bit about um, the impact on on pitchers and pitching, uh, obviously separate from the results that come from the hitters hitting their pitches, right? This is, this is more about <laughs> being able to actually execute the pitch they're trying to execute. So if, if Bassett is, is throwing out this hypothesis that the ball itself is difficult to get a feel for or it's just Mm -hmm. every ball is different and it's leading to uh loss of control to the extent that people are getting hit by more of them you can extrapolate that out to to buy if you buy that logic and that premise that it's also going to impact their ability to hit the corners and live on the edges right and Mm -hmm. get the ball up when they want to get it up and down when they want to get it down so is this something that we are only looking at half of the problem when we're talking about um what the impact is on a batted ball um because it seems like it's affecting both sides of the equation here and and logic would say well if the pitchers are having a harder time that would benefit the hitter which is not what we're seeing. So it seems to me that anyway, that there's a lot of variables being kind of wrapped up into this one topic, this one issue. Um, and I just wanted to give a little bit of airtime to your thoughts on the impact of the pitching before we take a quick break and get into the the hitting side. Yeah. I don't think we can kind of differentiate, you know, who it helps pitters, who it helps pitchers, et cetera. Cause those are all kind of like a, I think one conversation about fantasy or predicting future performance. Uh, I, you know, they go hand in hand, the same variables affect them in the same ways. I think though, the thing that Bassett brings up uh, is an entirely separate conversation that I'm really glad you moved to the top of this episode, actually, uh, because, you know, when you get people like, you remember Pete Alonso basically saying that like the MLB is doing on pur- this on purpose to like tank people's free agency values. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, it's a little bit conspiratorial, but it's also the exact level of conspiratorial that you can logically predict will happen whenever you do stupid stuff, like mess with product quality. I don't think that any of us should be upset with or, like, casting doubt on these sorts of players as people when they say some, like, really, really biting things about the ball right now like people are going to say some increasingly crazy things about like whose fault it is and why they're doing it and what the effects are crazy sounding does not necessarily mean actually crazy so when bassett says like we can't get a consistent grip on this thing they feel different it's not the same thing over and over again and we're going to continue to hear that i have yeah zero doubt about the cats on the back we have some data that that's had happened even if they say that it isn't continuing to happen people are going to believe these things so uh, with all that said, um, I appreciate the fact that Bassett has been very vocal about this and a lot of other people have because I think people need to hear it from the players and not just from the nerds to believe it. <laughs> uh, so I, I think that's also a core problem of all this is like, you know, Dr. Meredith Wills has done some fantastic work, uh, literally cutting baseballs open, measuring things, doing some real science. Uh, not yeah. some like me going into Savant and like looking at some data and trying to connect some dots science. Like she is doing actual experimental stuff that like really makes sense. Uh, I think it's really important uh, before we get into all the effects on it, just say like there are real people's lives and livelihoods being affected by this. And I really want to, wherever we possibly can make sure we're listening to those people uh, because they 
have spent a long time throwing and hitting baseballs and they know when things are wrong. And uh, even if, you know, they are competing with each other, I guarantee you uh, Bassett is probably just as upset about, you know, if Edwin Diaz can't grip a ball or he can't grip a ball and they are hitting batters on the opposing team. Uh, right. They don't want that. And, uh, you know, I was there second day of the season when uh, the benches and bullpens cleared in uh, Washington because uh, Lindor got hit in the jaw. Uh, yeah, I don't actually think that they intended to throw at him. They had no reason to. It didn't make any real. Oh, maybe they did. It was pretty stupid. I think they had <laughs> two people warming up. I'll, I'll take that back. There may have been some malice in that one, but like I don't know why they would. It's a whole lot of stupid, and like the the bench is clearing, and then we got to throw back, and we got to throw back, and then we go out of the throwback. Sort of mindsets are just endlessly bad. Um, but I would really also like. <laughs> maybe some of the heat on those discussions to go down because of some of this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it certainly is important to hear from the people who are doing this to your point. They've done this at a high level, right? At the highest level you possibly can, where tiny little things are the difference between success and failure. Uh, the margins for error are razor thin. And so something like this is really going to throw people for a loop and, and to your point before, it's going to kind of fall into a probably a fairly normal distribution, right? There are going to be people who are not overly affected by it, and there are going to be people who are extremely affected by it good in good and bad ways. And those people who are on the wrong end of that stick are going to be frustrated and, and irritated by this. And, and I, in my opinion, rightfully so, because if you don't know all of the variables and the parameters when you're going into something, you can't make appropriate athletic adjustments to that. And it does seem like major league baseball has just kind of willy nilly messed with this baseball recently a lot. And maybe this is just something they've always done that, that didn't have this kind of an impact, but uh, it sure seems like, like they've been doing it a lot. And, and also it's frustrating because there are leagues around the world that have baseballs that players really like, that work. And so it's there. Like there are, there are options out there that already exist. We don't have mm -hmm. to reinvent the wheel. Um, and so I don't know from a fan standpoint, it's frustrating to see players get hit. You don't, you don't want somebody getting injured. I, even when they're intentionally throwing the baseball at each other, which be an injury is a, a foreseeable outcome of doing that. And it's silly. Uh, they're still not trying to injure anybody or hit them in the face and ruin their career. They're doing whatever they're doing for whatever reason, they you know, some unwritten rule thing, but it's not about causing injury. It, it, it's so, I don't know. It just, it seems like when you actually see players coming out and speaking out against basically their employer, you have to take it seriously, whether they're spot on with their analysis or not, they are identifying something that seems to be a problem. Um, and right. I think that's important right. to listen to. Um, all right. We are going to talk about the impact on hitters extensively. But before we do that, we are going to take a very small break. Hey, Alex Fast here. And thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription where you're going to get an ad free website and get access to our discord where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right thanks for listening let's get back to the show and we are back. So, Alexander, it's time to talk about the thing that everybody is talking about, and that is what is going on with offense? What is wrong with Joey Gallo? What is happening? Help me understand how this ball situation is impacting uh, players on the field, and, and what what is the future of this? Um, so I want to start first with a hypothesis that uh, someone who replied to a tweet of mine uh, put out. Uh, have we considered that uh, kids these days just aren't good enough and that they don't have enough hits in RBI and that they're worse at baseball? You know, 
Back in yeah, my day, one, one year uh, versus the next, <laughs> just suddenly all everybody got bad at baseball. Yeah, um, yeah. I think we have considered that in in the way that it is it, it should be considered, which is for not more than half a second. Yeah, um, I'm glad we did that first because I think that's like the <laughs> subtext of all of this is like, do we believe that everybody suddenly got really bad at hitting? Because before we get into the whys of all this, I want to make sure as you're sitting in your car and you're wondering, do I trade Jesse Winker? Do I trade Jesse Winker? Do I trade Jesse Winker? No, calm down. He didn't suddenly get bad at baseball. Uh, and that's going to be the case yeah. for a lot of people. There are going to be some people who are hurt more than others in these cases. Uh, I will say this. I do I do believe it's possible that the way that people are training to play baseball leaves them susceptible and more vulnerable to this sort of a thing than they may have been in previous eras of baseball. But mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that their skill set suddenly declined. It just means right. that this this is impacting everybody in the same way in their Achilles heel. Right. I think that's a, that's a really good way to kind of sum up the difference between the belief that people are bad because they are trying to hit too many home runs and aren't, you know, going the other way and grit and leadership or whatever you want to say there. I'm whatever. Uh, I think that that's a really good way to get into this. And Putting that up top, I think, is our responsibility because, one, I know it's a, it's a lot of just, like, details that we're going to just throw at you guys here in a second. But I want to say, calm down with some of these guys. Things are going to get better, I think, is kind of like the nice preview piece of all this. Um, so the first thing we need to talk about is probably just, like, how bad the problem is, what it looks like uh, from, like, a data perspective and who we can actually say, like, does seem like is being affected most right now. Uh, first thing I want to take a look at is just like league-wide offense as a whole. Um, a way that I did this that I think will make sense to some people regardless is if you uh, just lay out all of the seasons. I did it since 2011 because it's like at, beyond that, like we don't really remember like the differences between offenses all that well. Our short, we're, we're goldfish, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> literally, I was 15 years old in 2010. Um, I don't remember that. Um, yes, trying to make some of y'all feel old. Uh, yeah. Thanks. In that Mission year, accomplished. Yeah. In, in that year, uh, we had a league wide ERA of 3.94. Uh, and I think league wide ERA is a good way to encapsulate how much offense there is. Like, that's just how many runs the average team would score through nine innings, right? The lowest it has been since that year was uh, 2014 with a 3.74 league uh, league wide ERA. That is the exact same number that we are currently sitting at right now things peaked in 2019 at 451 uh so yeah we're talking about like between two teams you know because they're playing each other a run and a half more uh that went up over the course of five years and then has just evaporated uh over the past couple years even just the past like since 2020 basically that has entirely evaporated because of fill in the blank here with a lot of different stuff. We're actually going to cover a couple of those things. It's not just one thing, but there are a handful of things that are very clearly different. Uh, The first and foremost obvious thing is that the the ball is not flying as far. Um, I pulled some stuff the other day. I think we may have talked about this and I've, I've looked at it more. I've seen other people look at this some more. It seems like when the ball is hit hard in the air, bad things, relatively speaking, are happening. I'm going to say bad things because I am pro baseballs flying a far away i think home <laughs> runs are fun um and yeah basically the, the results whenever you hit the ball hard have not been as good uh if you just like take all the hard hit balls 95 plus we know 95 is a cusp for things good happening anything less than that and it's like 92 is on average about as good as 72 which is wild to think but hmm. so that tells us um but yeah any anything that's been hit hard like worse things have happened you can basically since Statcast came into being in 2015 through 2021 the average slugging percentage on a hard hit ball was like 1000 and change 1050 or so uh something like that there's some years where it's like really really bizarre high like 2019 peak juice ball era currently that slugging is uh 0.885 in other words like we're like a couple standard deviations outside the norm compared to the last uh, seven years. The batting average on these hard hit balls is down more than 50 points as well. Like it is bad. Now 
when you zoom out from there and you just like split it up into like ground balls and line drives and fly balls you can get at some of the reasons why uh shifts are happening more than they used to and like yeah we're seeing more like uh ground balls that are smoked turn into outs but that's not the biggest problem that's been like a steady decline and we're well within like a steady decline it is the fly balls in the air in particular that are just absolutely not going as far as they used to so i i pulled fly ball particular and uh you can see you know like the batting average and the slugging on those the slugging on fly balls hit in the air uh hard hit fly balls is down like 400 points Jeez. Like, yeah uh, another thing you can pull i didn't pull it earlier but i guess i can do it right now is you can include changing your included stats on these savant searches um the average distance so i'm going to add that in here uh so we can get that as well did you look at the, launch angle and see if that's different too so this is all fly balls so this is just everything within the launch angle bin sure yeah it's in that one bin i just mean to nuance out if oh yeah I, to see if it's overall happening differently yeah, yeah we can yeah, yeah. look at that i think there's been a for some people, there's been launch angle stuff. I don't think for the league it's changed that much, but I can check on that. That'd be no, interesting. Yeah, to think, it would actually be just as telling if it hasn't changed than if it has, I think. Right, right. Okay, so here we have uh, hard hit fly balls. In 2019, these threw, these flew an average of 375 feet. Uh, it was 370 in 2020, 367 last year, and we're down at 361. So if you hit the ball hard in the air, it is flying 15 feet uh, fewer than it used to uh that mm. is crazy yeah for reference and this is kind of like the, the next phase of all of this we did have uh major league baseball say that they were int- going to introduce a ball like a starting last season that should have right. taken a couple feet two or three feet off in on average right. um and that was significant at the time and this right. is 15 feet yeah uh so andrew perpetua our constant cranky anti-dh friend um <laughs> I, I appreciate him sticking to his guns there uh did some data work back then is like here's how many home runs you would expect it was a pretty significant drop especially for the and no surprises here if you've watched the past couple of years people like dj mayhew who like hit a lot of wall scrapers uh kevin yeah. Vigio, we had this discussion last off season um yeah. and they and they were worse and well the problem right now is that it's just everybody is those guys uh, except somehow uh, Anthony Rizzo, I don't know what he's doing differently. Being a Yankee <laughs> Stadium still. Whatever. Well, you're you're obviously hitting if you're at a 15 foot range, you're including a lot more people. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. Who are or negatively impacted by this? Where if if it's two feet and you've hit it out by 20, well, that doesn't matter. But right. if it's if it's 15 feet and you are hitting a bunch of home runs out by 11, well, suddenly you're inside that zone, and that's. That's problematic. I have a question. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that I put this on Twitter when you were talking about this, but I'm not sure I articulated it all that well there. So I I decided I was going to save it for here. Have we looked at the average exit velocity for these fly balls? So we're again, we're talking about uh, being over 95 miles an hour, right? Yeah, right. Those are the ones that matter. I've seen other people pull it at a hundred. I've seen people pull it just for barrels. There's lots of different ways to like try to get at the same sort of experiment. Okay. So if, if you were to do this, let's say whatever, whatever you you've chosen as your criteria, then you have this data set of exit velocity, Mm -hmm. right? Is that down? So uh, my, I guess my question would be, is this only an issue of what's happening to the ball once it's hit hard? But are the batted ball events that happen to be over the threshold over the threshold by less than they used to be over the threshold? I, that sounds like a convoluted way of asking this question, but do, do you understand um, what I'm getting at? I do. And the terrible answer that you're going to hate to hear is that they're actually up. Okay. No, I, I actually, again, I don't, <laughs> the answer itself doesn't bother me. It's it, that's further evidence then that this is something about ball flight. Right. And we can actually explain why that is as well. Uh, so there's a couple different ways you can slice all this. I want to get one back to one thing I noted at the top with ERA. So we're seeing all the ball flying less far. The other thing is that strikeout rates are also way down uh, or way up over time. Yeah. Right. Yeah, we're right. essentially dealing with the, the 2019 strikeout rate and the 2014 baseball. Uh, that is an awful combination of things. Yeah. No, it's April still. Um, 
the ball will fly a little bit more when the summer months heat up. And we should get into the, the kind of the science of why here. Uh, if you're um, so I, I should ask, did you when they first came out read like the baseball astrophysics like reports on why how things have changed? Like have have you caught have you been following those personally? Uh, j- just through other people reading and tweeting, I have not actually looked at them myself. Cool. Um, I do I'm... think it is important to note, though, in that thing that you're talking about with the weather, sh- certainly we know weather is an Im- impact. But I did see Eno responding to a lot of people who brought that up, saying that his his article that came out, and I think you will we'll talk a little bit We're more about, about that. Talk about that, yeah. <laughs> um, was weather corrected? So mm-hmm. even despite the fact that yes, it is only April, that was incorporated in in the analysis done by the people uh, smarter than uh, than I am. Yes, uh, there's some interesting weather-related stuff that has kind of probably really propped up some of the effects, but like not in the ways you expect. But yeah, all of the good analysis I've seen about ball flight, ball distances, I've done a couple of those, you know, back the napkin savant searchy things where I just look at April for some different places, and yeah, it looks like things are worse right now. Uh, and I'm willing to, by the way, I keep saying worse. I mean it. I I truly believe that this makes things less fun. Uh, so like, yeah, it's not just worse for offense. I think it is aesthetically worse. Uh, getting into that particular thing. So if you haven't been following it, um, first of all, Dr. Meredith Wills uh, at baseball astrophysics. I can't remember. It's, it's, she spells it a little bit odd, but if you Meredith Wills, find her on Twitter. She's great follow and has been for a long time. Um, has been like cutting open these baseballs and measuring the inconsistency of the mass of the core of the baseball. And basically one of the problems that, that she was able to identify and talks about pretty clearly is as the mass changes, you get this effect where, um, you know, the ball will fly different distances. And it seemed like there were multiple batches of baseballs, uh, which is the problem. Like there's inconsistency of the product that they're putting out. Uh, right now, one of the things that she has kind of identified uh hypothetically is a little bit different than that so if we're like moving towards this new baseball they said they were going to start using that's slightly lighter and as a result will not travel quite as far um one of the other things that she's noted is that basically the way that the humidors have been working is a little bit wonky as well um and this is not like the coors field humidor make offense go down problem this is a whole separate thing and this is exactly the the thing that bassett's probably getting at in terms of their command being blah blah so as you ship it from costa rica very humid there probably pretty humid on a container ship you get to like the distribution center in missouri and then you chuck those across the country and then they land bang in your humidor in uh you know washington dc for the nats here they sit in that humidor for two weeks. And what happens is like, they're going to go from like relatively moist environment, probably to a dry environment and then back to getting moist again is basically what's yeah. going to happen. Um, if you've ever dealt with any sort of materials, you know, that's going to screw some things up and baseballs have yarn inside them. And the theory that she's put out, which I think makes a lot of sense, all told uh, explaining the drag issues is that in the process of that, those, it doesn't just like get back its original shape. It's expanding a little bit and, and that's raising the seams up. And when you do that, those seams create more drag. So basically because major league baseball is mildly incompetent, whenever it's trying to introduce its new humidor policy, <laughs> it's created an additional ball problem on top of the dejuicing stuff that we already knew about. Um, there's some good commentary in Eno slash Ken Rosenthal's piece about how the humidor settings they have chosen are themselves a little bit too aggressively anti-offense as well. Basically, they chose a setting. They probably should have chose a different setting that would be slightly, um, you know, less humid to like kind of match a national average and give everyone the same ballpark settings. They've given everyone, except Coors, and that's fine, the same ballpark settings, but like, they suck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so there's like incompetence at so many different points. It's probably the result of not consulting some people who know exactly what they're doing and giving them some power at every stage to make sure their plan comes to fruition in like a successful, we go to the moon sort of way. This is not us going to the moon. This is us building the Katy Freeway or some other great failed and kind of messy infrastructure project. <laughs> well, that the seam issue certainly would make sense then as to why strikeouts are up as well. 
uh, because that interaction is what you want when you're throwing the ball uh, well, to get the break it, and it, the curve. It, it right? is and it isn't. Right? Strikeouts have just been rising uh, because strikeouts keep rising because pitchers keep getting better at throwing harder and throwing nastier stuff. I think that's unrelated to baseball. And all of those things. But right. certainly, you're. I, I mean, I, I am, again, not the physicist here, but I have to imagine that even if it's a small change, uh, increased seam level rising hired seams i don't know how to say that the right way yeah raised seams whatever raised seams sure is going to if it's if it's increasing drag on a batted ball such that it falls 15 feet shorter than it would that increased interaction with the air for the pitchers is a good thing maybe not maybe it's not the only reason but it on on your especially on your breaking pitches i'm not necessarily talking about like your heaters but yeah. So the thing is, though, strikeouts are actually down from last year still. Uh, they are the all time high is 2020. We've actually ticked down a couple of ticks, and I think that's sticky stuff enforcement. So, well, uh, sure. There's multiple variables s- at play, we right? We haven't seen but- the effects there yet. I think there is probably something in the idea you're throwing out there. I just don't have the data laid out, and I haven't seen someone chop that up in a way that's coherent that confirms what you're saying yet. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it hurts fastball velocity. Uh, yeah, I should note all the, the, um, the, remember what I said earlier about like the hard hit events being up. The reason for that actually has to do with the, and think about like a wiffle ball. Yeah. I've never really like, say the same thing. Yeah. 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 Right. So I, I'm, I don't, I'm trying to relate that back to pitching. It's like basically the ball's lighter means when you hit it, the initial velocity is slightly higher. So it gives an impression that people are hitting the ball harder. Um, but then it just dies in the air a little more later on. Uh, so it, I mean, it's obviously not like a huge difference we're talking about like a gram or so taken off of some of these it's not a whole lot um like maybe it's a little more than that it's a couple couple grams here and there um but like still i think like maybe that means that some people's out of hand velocities are higher maybe that means that the spin is increasing maybe it means the movement's increasing that wouldn't shock me but i don't have that that's what i was talking about is more the movement i and you're also talking only about 60 feet, six inches for the interaction rather than, you know, 385 feet for right, the interaction. Right. So there's there's that as well. Um, and that does make some sense. Why don't we get into talking about the the people, some of the players? Mm-hmm. I, I think that that is an interesting place for us to go and, and probably will bring us to kind of the conclusion of this topic in this episode is who are we talking about here in terms of impact and what is the prognosis? Right. So we're going to see, I think, the greatest impact if in terms of particular players on people who are extremely fly ball heavy in their approach. Um, so you can imagine someone like the first name that came to mind for me whenever I was writing this up was Reese Hoskins, who's famously been a little bit too fly ball heavy. And it's hurt his batting average, despite his strikeouts actually not being terrible. But, you know, like these we imagine them as three true outcomes, guys. They'll strike out 25 to 30 to 35% of the time. They walk 15% of the time and they put the ball in the air. Um, actually, a whole bunch of these. Jesse Weaker fits into that profile as well. Uh, strikeouts are much better, but he's still struggling. And it's just a lot of these guys uh, that have kind of played the same with different, slightly different levels. Now, a lot of those guys are still walking at great clips. Gallo still walks a lot. Muncie still walks a lot. Winker still lots, walks a lot. Hoskins, you know, they're they're all still providing value to their team, which is a really interesting right. part. They haven't been bad. It's just their batting averages have been bad and their home runs have been down. So in a fantasy world that we live in, uh apparently, they're all <laughs> providing us less for our teams. Uh so if you got Max Muncie at a great value at pick like 140 or so, like I did a bunch, he has not been helpful. <laughs> yeah. Like he's walked. Doesn't help you. Uh, it's like the runs have kind of still not been there. Uh, his WRC plus numbers, and these are why in fantasy you want to be very careful about using numbers like WOBA and WRC plus. They don't reflect actual categorical value. Um, like those have still been all pr- pretty much fine for a lot of these guys. But yeah, the batting average is really tanked for a lot of those types of players, regardless of how hard they hit the ball, because that hasn't been enough. Now, should also notice or note. These are all just kind of the guys that I think are emblematic partially because they've suffered most. There've been some guys who are yeah. kind of like this who've been doing just fine. Part of that is the short porch in Yankee Stadium leads to some really ridiculous outcomes for Rizzo. I noted Gallo, he's I don't know what's been going on with him since he moved to New York. Yeah, uh, very strange. I think the beard was the key part. Yeah, he lost the source of all of his power. 
clearly. <laughs> um, but yeah, those are the sorts of guys that we can imagine that this will continue to impact most in terms of fantasy value. And, and this is really funny. Remember what I said last week about the Yankees? I'm like, he's got all these guys who hit the ball really hard. They should be hurt less. That is all without the seam issue kind of taken into yeah. account. So if I'm going 180 here a little bit, that's because we got some new information that seems to say this particular type of not velocity, but angle is going to be like one of the bigger contributors. So the guys who spray the ball, line drive and below, uh, you know, I'm not saying quite the Yandy Diaz types, but, you know, the guys who are less extreme fly ball hitters aren't going to be hurt quite as badly. We've seen some guys post some really hilarious 400 batting averages still like it still happens. Um, But are those the guys that are built to be three true outcome players. And that was kind of the point I was hinting at last time. And I understood your, your counterpoint. Uh, but like, does that help explain why the guardians have had a string of success with a lineup that really shouldn't necessarily on paper compete because they've got guys who are not those types of players. And so they're maybe impacted by this a little bit less. I know again, it's not, it's not backed by any data. This is just me on the fly posing a hypothetical, but is that something that could be within the realm of possibility? I think that could be part of it. Um, another part of it, I think, is that they've actually just hit the ball really hard. Uh, they've been up there in how often they're hitting the ball really high exit velocities compared to other teams. Like They're just doing well. Uh, that's part of it. They also do have a relatively like down-the-line pull-friendly park still. Um, they've faced some other weak lineups. Like There's a bunch of other things that have been like, they are playing well. Um, but like if you're hitting the ball a little harder and it's the drag is, is making it land a little bit shorter, that doesn't really impact how quickly it's getting out of the infield, right? That's exactly. So, yes, that's, that's exactly that. So those types of players who take that kind of an approach are maybe benefiting from this or at least less negatively impacted by it. Right. Um, I should note the ball coming off the bat at a higher uh, EV. Um, still is not like making it better for uh ground balls and line drives uh they're not more successful as a result of the composition of the new ball just not hurt as much so right yeah right 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 right. um so i I think that there's just some flukiness there with uh cleveland they're they're let's just give some credit to the players a lot of them are playing really well (laughs) sure Um, yeah and and i want to make sure that we don't just pretend that they're um they're an anomaly they deserve credit uh jose ramirez is playing like an mvp candidate as per usual uh the rest of the composition team, like they've put together a good lineup. Um, but you know, that's how it's what it is. Um, interestingly, I did see Steven Kwan get dropped in a league already. <laughs> <laughs> People are crazy. Um, he's still batting 341. Yeah. Um, I mean, listen, average is still a category and it depends upon the depth of your league, right? If you're going to be putting somebody in there who doesn't contribute to the other four and is hitting 280, just because he gets a couple extra uh, home runs. I mean, home runs you can find so i don't know i can you right now is the question (laughs) well i think you you can relative to what the rest of the league is doing this is impacting all of those those hitters in similar ways it might be hitting some people a little harder than others but those three true outcome guys those guys that you drafted to hit bombs are all playing with this same ball and with the same humidor settings right so it's relative. Can I note another thing there about the humidor thing that they really do a good job of mentioning in the piece? And this is why I was confident things are going to get better. In a lot of these parks where the weather has been very dry, those humidors are doing extra work to kind of take away the benefits of some nice dry air that would like help you out. Um, so like there are some particular parks where the the results have been more hilariously awful than others. That's some nice one month small sample size nonsense like i remember seeing i can't remember who it was uh mlb crowd scout i can't remember who that what their handle is uh noted that like a, a hilariously high number of like the batted balls that have been hit hard so far have happened at like detroit um mm. where you know there's a lot of park for those balls to die in the air yeah um the astros have had some weird stuff going on like kyle tucker's been really bad and it's like yeah is it gloves is it bad luck that's not a big park. Like the juice box is small. Um, I'm not exactly sure where all of those different fluke things are coming from, but like at this point in the year, you can pick out the three guys in your lineup that you're like, yeah, these guys are going to get back together. It's not their fault. Um, it's been some unlucky defense and like the weather will get better. And then they're like the four or five guys. You said, ha, you shouldn't have drafted 
Brian Reynolds, he's obviously trash or whatever your dumb take is going to be. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, and like Tucker, I think will be fine. Brian Reynolds will probably be fine. If you're seeing someone who is not increasing their strikeouts, who hasn't lost their walks, who's still hitting the ball reasonably hard, like they're still going to be good compared to the rest of the field. And I think that's kind of my thought on like Hoskins and Muncie is like their luck's probably also going to turn around a little bit in some other ways. Um, they're not worse baseball players. They're not. Well, yeah, you know, like, right. And if everyone's being hurt, the, they're still going to be good. You, right, right, right. That's the, what I, I was trying to say is that the, the league average is being impacted here too. It's not just your guys. Um, right. And it does bring us back to the point that you made in an earlier episode, uh, a couple of weeks back, I think about, what sample sizes normalize the fastest and which ones we should put stock in and which ones we shouldn't. And uh, you were talking about like K rates and walk rates, right? Like, so mm-hmm. we, we, you want to make sure that you are going to those things that are, are going to stabilize this, the soonest for indicators of change. If this is just the guy is doing exactly the same thing as last year, but the ball isn't going as far. Well, I, that's that's happening to other people too, and and these are very smart, very very gifted athletes, and I'm sure they will make adjustments if that's what they need to do uh, to this ball, or th- that those things might settle themselves out as the weather changes, or as you know, who knows, as the season goes on and and people get uh, a better handle on on what they need to do. So, um, skills are skills, and and the variables around them may change and that might require them to adapt a little bit. Um, but patience is really important. I know everybody gets really excited for the fantasy baseball season to start. And it feels like the first three, four weeks, you know, you're in it, you're, you're, you're back in the middle of it, but you have to remember that it's still, it's still early, not from the sense of like the weather or the, uh, any of those things, but the sample sizes and, and what numbers you can trust this, early in the season. So right. keep all of that in mind. And, and you can go back. I think Alexander, you've tweeted those out, right? The, the sample sizes that I haven't, I haven't actually tweeted them out myself. I know other people have, we talked about them on air. Um, yeah. Like yeah. this week, basically the things I would be like starting to believe or like strikeout walk rates for hitters. You can start to believe in hard contact rates for them, but to a degree don't care about barrels just yet, but soon uh, like mildly care about barrels. If someone's way outside the norm in a positive way, it's probably not, totally a fluke um right uh i would definitely not care about anyone's batting average right now a thing i want to flag for people to not care about in particular right now are uh x woba xo xba x slug and stuff like that because uh they've got two things working against them being predictive going forward first of all they're really influenced by line drive rate and how often you've been kind of lucky about squaring the ball up perfectly uh, just a couple of those can really influence your uh, boba exoba stuff, and then like so, if you have a huge gap between those, like maybe you would note that someone has maybe gotten a little bit unlucky, and you can kind of like cool down your head. But you shouldn't see oh, so and so's got a four hundred exoba. Like Kyle Tucker, I'm looking at his page right now. He's got a four oh seven exoba. He's got a two fifty three woba. Like the yeah. exoba is wrong to a degree because of that number being generated off of an old understanding of how the ball flies. That's why you should not yeah. care about the most right now. But at the same time, he's hitting the ball pretty hard. He's not striking out a ton. He's walking a good clip. His strikeout rate is up a, a bit from last year, but still it's 20%. That's totally healthy. Um, you should also be very careful though with uh, Woba and stuff like that for lefties because those shifts do hurt them a little more. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, just don't care about those numbers. Care about this? Care about the raw inputs a little bit more. Know that lefties are going to be hurt slightly more. I don't think that he's like suddenly bad. And I've seen some really dumb trade offers. Like uh, I had someone DM me the other day, and this is just so terribly bad timing. It's like someone offered Kyle Tucker for Eloy the day before Eloy got hurt. So the person's mm. impatience with uh, Tucker really hurt them there, which is sad, I guess. Yeah, but, uh, yep. that, yeah that sort of trade doesn't make any sense preseason and. Don't do anything right, like that now. Right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, the, the way you felt about these guys before the season started shouldn't have changed too drastically unless there's, you know, we're talking about like the Tyler McGills of the world who are, are going out there and doing something vastly different than expectations. Um, And there's a reason you can look at what his success is coming from. It's not just 
everything looks the same. The eye test looks the same and the batting average is just down. Um, got to be a little bit more patient with those types of things. Um, I was going to yeah. ask you for your kind of like final thoughts on this, but I think you just wrapped it up, but, but I'll give you that space. What's, what's the, the last word on this topic? Um, I, I would say if you want to try to like mess with your league mates by trying to snipe a few of these players, like go, go for it. Like people are going to be overacting. You're going to win a lot of these trade leagues by capitalizing on those sorts of mistakes. But in some of the more competitive ones, I, I think most of the advantage to be gleaned is by making sure that you don't just sort like your free agents by home runs and pay your fab dollars for the person who has three of them right now. Like, yeah uh, or by sorting by betting average like i will sort by pa <laughs> and that's basically the only thing i will auto sort by otherwise all the targets are going to come up i'm coming up with by doing some other stuff one way or another seeing a lineup change and stuff like that that's in, that information is still immensely more important than anything else um jobs job security etc so um don't overreact don't overreact except obviously to the one thing that you can't overreact to <laughs> so don't do it except when you can do it yeah um well uh, thank you once again alexander for uh sitting down and chatting with me for for an hour or so here that does bring us to the end of this episode so if you can remind the people where they can find us well they can find you on twitter at the corked mat i'm on twitter at chase underscore rate and most importantly, you can find our podcast on Twitter at Dugout Study Hall, where you can send us some questions. Please be sure to subscribe to the Pitcherless podcast feed if you haven't done that already. Leave us a good review if you can be so kind. And if you're not already, please consider becoming a PL Plus member so that you can harass us on the PL Discord. And that's it for me. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll catch you next time.